Happy Father's Day, Summit Church. Pastor Wayne here. So glad you're with us today, both in person and online. Well, I had a surgery that was scheduled for Wednesday, and it got bumped to Friday. So this is the, in in case of emergency, emergency break glass sermon. <laughs> I've got it in the can. Just in case I'm not feeling normal or up to par, I figured it'd be good to have this message on on videos. So uh, I may I may have to use this. But anyway, God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day. And if you're joining with us today and you're a dad or your dad's with you in church today, would you put your hand on their shoulder or moms, you can hold their hand or whatever, stretch your hand towards where you think they are. Let's pray a blessing over all the dads for this Father's Day. Father, thank you for our dads. Thank you that you are the perfect Heavenly Father. And we know that dads make mistakes. Dads are not perfect. And yet, uh, we don't ridicule our dads. We honor our dads. We thank you for them. They they did their best with what they knew how to do. And Lord, maybe sometimes they intentionally messed up. But Lord, help us to forgive our dads if they've ever hurt us in any kind of way. And Lord, help us to live in such a way where we get our affirmation from you. And those of us who are dads, give us the strength, give us the wisdom, give us the ability to be the best possible fathers that we can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Dads, we love you. We appreciate you. Being a dad is a hard job. Being a mom's a pretty hard job. Moms, without you, of course, we wouldn't be dads. And so we need each other. And so we've been studying um, all the way through the New Testament this year, 2021. God's love to everyone in 2021. That's been the biblical theme this year. We've been studying the New Testament five chapters at a time. We've made our way up to Romans chapter 9. We're going to be Roman, doing Romans chapters 9 through 13 today. And I've titled my message today, The Fruitful Vine. The Fruitful Vine. Now, if some of you are my Facebook friends, you've seen some of my pictures of my grapevine. This is some old vines that I've just chopped off that are dead off the grapevine uh, in my backyard, just on the trellis. And then there's some tiny little grape grape uh, seeds, grapes that are growing on the vine that later this summer will probably be about the size of a dime. And they're beautiful. And I, I picked up some white grapes at the store today. This is what we're going for. Something big white. They're conquered sweet grapes, big white and fruitful. That's what we want our grapevines to look like. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> in other words, we need Jesus, we need God for everything. To be fruitful, to be happy, to be blessed, uh, that God is the divine gardener. In fact, the old, the old ancient word for gardener was husbandman. You've heard of the, the, the field of botany or study called husbandry. You have animal husbandry. You have botany. You've got these different kinds of uh, ways of taking care of, of plants and animals. Well, husbandry is caring for living things. And I think that's an interesting word, husbandry, that husbands and wives have children. They have a family. And out of that healthy relationship, the healthy dynamic of marriage with children, God raises new generations and new families, and he takes the lonely and puts them in families, and that's how God kind of runs the social order of, hum of humankind. Well, I would say this real quickly, is that marriage is the nucleus of the family. 
In fact, one of the best duties that you can fulfill as a dad is to be a good husband. Because if you'll model being a good husband to your wife, dads, your sons will see that and go, oh, that's how you're supposed to treat your wife. That's how, that's how a healthy family looks. To admit you're wrong, to, to say you are sorry, to say I love you, to tell her that she's beautiful, to do all those things that a good husband is supposed to do, even in the times they don't feel like doing it, right? And so because we, a lot of times people have heard say children come first. No, the marriage comes first. Marriage comes first and children are in addition to the nucleus of the marriage. If the marriage is healthy, hopefully the other relationships in the family will be more healthy. So being a good husband, I think good fatherhood starts with being a good husband. So the fruitful vine is what I've titled this today. So each of these chapters are going to be a different truth about the fruitful vine. In Romans chapter 9, Paul continues his discussion uh, talking about Jews and Gentiles and salvation and how God selected Israel and yet he's offering salvation to the Gentiles. He talks about how God selected Israel among the nations. And Paul says himself, he goes, I'm Jewish. Look, I would, verse chapter 9, verse 3, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. But that's not how salvation works, right? We, I can't suffer on behalf of someone else's sins. Only Jesus could do that because he was perfect. He was God's sacrifice. Well, Verse 6, he says, Well then, God has, has God failed to fulfill the promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born to the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God has promised, I will return about this time next year and, and Sarah will have a son. He, he's, he's saying, look, I, dis I chose to put my blessing through Isaac and that other family. Yes, I bless Ishmael. Yes, I bless all those who, who accept me by grace through faith that uh, we believe God. It's credited as righteousness, but there was a chosen people called Israel. Right? They are the they're they're part of that root and offspring of David, which is Jesus, and then the grafted in part is the church. So there is a church, there is Israel, there is a God, and God still has a plan for Israel and the church. These are independent um, entities that God has created as a heavenly Father. And He says, "Look, it's not for you to decide what's fair or not." In Romans chapter nine. Uh, verse 14, it says, Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So in other words, it's not based on your worth or your merit or your effort or your law keeping. It's based on God's grace and God choosing to show mercy. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Boy, that ought to answer a lot of questions for people right now. Verse 19, well, well then, what might you say? Does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me this way? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage in? 
In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls and who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows his mercy. So God gets to decide on whom he shows his mercy. And so it's not up to us to decide that. He's the one who decides that. And so he's, Paul makes this case. He says, look, God isn't just going to pick the Jewish people. He has a plan to redeem the Gentiles. In verse 25 of chapter 9, he says, Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the, the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will now call, I will now call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. So God says, I'm going to choose the Gentiles. I'm going to figure out a way for the Gentiles to be reconciled to me. And of course, that's what Jesus has done. He's made a way for all of humanity to be reconciled to God by grace through faith. Paul continues to talk about this whole idea of Israel and Israel really not accepting Christ or not believing that Jesus becomes a stumbling stone that the, the builders rejected him, but he was the chief cornerstone on which God was going to build this new plan to redeem humanity. He says, uh, just quoting the prophets, verse 33, God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So we need to trust Jesus. Jesus is the one who justifies us. So if we're talking about five truths of the fruitful vine today, the first truth is this. God can claim anyone that he chooses. God can choose anybody. Truth number two in chapter 10, God's life is driven by faith. The God life, <laughs> a life that's spiritual, is lived by faith. Here's what Paul says to, to the Romans in chapter 10. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, the, lo the longing of my heart and prayers for is to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. And he goes on to talk about that salvation is for everyone. Verse 6, he says, But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says, The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. And this is the message, the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So faith doesn't come by birthright. It doesn't come through law keeping. It doesn't come through self-sacrifice. It comes by simple trust and belief in Christ. Believing God and having it credited as righteousness. The faith life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And so how do we get faith? How do you attain faith? Well, Paul goes on to say here in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Verse 17, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Another version of this says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. 
Like hearing, hearing, not just hearing anything, but hearing what God has proclaimed, what God has said, the message that he's proclaimed down through the ages, through the prophets, through the law, yes, through Christ, through the early church, through everything that we can get in the scriptures, through what his spirit speaks to our hearts. Faith comes by hearing, not just hearing anything, but hearing the word of God, hearing the very words of God. So God's li- the God life is driven by faith. That, that's where the, the vine, that's <laughs> where the power comes from, is faith. Faith is a driving force in the, in the spiritual life of a Christian. It's what pushes out the fruitfulness off of the vine. When I start to see good fruit in my life, it becomes because faith has been activated in the various members of my body, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, in my actions, in my talent, time, and treasure, and all the ways that God could express himself through my life. And that's true for dads, it's true for moms, it's true for kids, it's true, true for everyone who's listening and watching this message right now. We come to chapter 11 and brings me to truth number three about the fruitful vine. God is both kind and severe, but always merciful. Right? If you're writing down notes here, God is both kind and severe, but he's always merciful. It's kind of a, almost seems like a dichotomy. That somehow, somehow he's kind, but he also makes um, a severe judgment. When I look at that grapevine out there, it's very easy for me to see which vines need to be pulled off and which, which vines need to stay. The vines that have leaves on them and little grapes that are sprouting, those need to stay. The dead vines that are brittle, <laughs> right, bitter, <laughs> there's no life in there, there's no green in there, there's no moisture in there, it's dead, it needs to be trimmed off, it needs to be pulled off. And what happens if I leave those there? Well, the fruitful vines won't bear as much fruit. But if I trim off all the dead vines, I get rid of all the dead stuff, the, the living vine, all the energy goes not to try to revive dead vines, but to give more fruitfulness to the vines that are already bearing fruit. And that's the spiritual life. That's why we need to trim out the dead things in our lives, going, this is the distraction. Oh, I didn't need to get away from this social media. I need to get away from these distractions or this, this sexual temptation or I'm putting myself in situations where I don't need to be. These are dead things I need to break off of myself and begin to focus on the things that God will want me to focus on. And when I begin to do that, when I begin to put first things first, God can begin to bring about fruitfulness in my life. So God is both kind and severe. Severe <laughs> to trim out the dead things and kind to water, to plant, to, to weed out, to, to, to care for, and to guide the vine where it needs to go. So chapter 11, Paul continues here. He talks about how God is merciful. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people. And he goes on to talk about how God has just foretold through his prophets that he has a plan, that there's something coming. And in verse uh, 7, he says, So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God that they're looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them in a deep sleep. So this day he has shut their eyes so they do not see. 
and close their ears so they do not hear. And King David says the same thing, that God has almost just allowed them to be blinded so they couldn't even see the truth. And then verse 11, Paul says, Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. And I think we're seeing that in Israel today. There are many Jewish people, many Israelis, that are saying yes to Jesus in large numbers. That God is beginning to wake up the Hebrew people to the idea of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Yeah, it's amazing. And so Paul continues, he says, And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given is, it, it, as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We bear fruit because we are grafted in to the vine. Paul continues that same kind of language here, talking about a wild olive tree. Verse 17, he says, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from the wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now also you receive the blessing that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken. You are just a branch. You're not the root. In other words, don't get too high-minded. Don't think too much of yourself. If he can graft you in, he can pull you out. Verse 22, notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. God wants to show mercy to everyone. And that's what Paul continues with at the end of chapter 11 here. He says, some of the people of Israel have had hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be, will, will be saved, as the scriptures say. We're coming to near the end of the fullness of the Gentiles. It's a, it's a season of history where the church age is going to come to an end. Christ is going to return to earth and establish the millennial, millennial rule. I believe we're, we're in the early days of Ezekiel's war. If we look at what had been prophesied in Ezekiel, we're getting very close to what, I, what Ezekiel was talking about, the valley of the dry bones and the, the thing that was dead coming back to life again. And here's what, here's what Paul says, For God's gifts and call can never be withdrawn. In other words, God doesn't give a gift and then take it back again. That's why Israel will always be Israel and have her promises, and the church will have her promises as well, and God will keep his promises to both. Once you were Gentiles, were rebels against God. But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are rebels, and God's mercy has come upon you so that they too will share in God's mercy. Oh, verse 33, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? 
Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? In other words, does God owe you anything? God doesn't owe you anything. He's already done so much for you. Receive what he's given. And don't act as if God owes you something. Don't have a chip on your shoulder. For everything, verse 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Truth number three, the good life is a thriving life. When I submit to the mercy of God, my life begins to make sense. It begins to thrive. And so how do you live that rich and fulfilling life? Well, this brings us to chapter four, and I mean, sorry, chapter 12, which is one of my point number four, I think is the most um, powerful chapter in all of Romans. Maybe not the most, but one of the most. It talks about being a living sacrifice to God. Here's my truth number four. We need to live for others. If I live for, to serve others, that means I die to myself. Jesus said, if anyone would be great in the kingdom of God, he must first become a servant of all. Paul continues that idea in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love this Father's Day. Here's a picture of my dad. I'll show you what my dad looked like as a younger man. That's Pastor Bud Hansen. Uh, In fact, I think that was a, a picture of him when he was off to North Central Bible Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota back in the day. My dad was the youngest son of 12 farm kids in northern Wisconsin, and I am the youngest of his three sons. He actually helped me start Summit Church way back when, when we started the hardware store downtown Castle Rock. He was part of the church when we were mobile at the high school. He never got to see the building that we're in now, um, but he was a great dad, and he was a great preacher who just loved the Lord. He wasn't a perfect man. He made many mistakes. He could be grumpy sometimes. He could be sometimes overtly religious and kind of sort of, uh, sort of a curmudgeon, but I love, I love my dad, and his sincerity for the Lord is unquestioned. I could hear him praying through the walls. I could hear him singing in the spirit. I watched him spend hours at the altar praying for people. I went to the hospital with my dad many times in hospital visits. He had a deep and great compassion for people who going through who are going through difficulties of any kind. And I really aspire to be like that. My dad was a pastor's pastor. He really knew how to love people. Um, He was Jesus with skin on for so many people. He would pick people up for church. He would drop people off. He would give people uh, money that he didn't even have uh, to, to bless and help them. That's the sacrificial life, to live for others. My dad understood that truth, that the spiritual life is to lay down your life for others. And... Paul says this, he says, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. It is his grace 
that God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the, co the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Wow, there's so much practical advice there for being a good uh, or just an ordinary Christian. My dad was that kind of guy. I remember watching him fix the, the church bus. I remember him just speaking uh, in common terms with factory workers and mechanics and farmers and going to tractor pulls and then also speaking with professionals and lawyers and bankers and doctors and never being too high or low to speak with anybody. And here's what Paul says. He says, if your enemies, this is chapter 12, verse 20. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And he goes on to tell the Roman church, hey, respect authority. I know that you're, you're under the Caesar, you're under this Roman rule, but pay your taxes, obey the laws. There's no laws against uh, good behavior. If you've broken the law, of course you should be afraid. <laughs> but if you haven't broken the law, then you don't have to be fearful of the authorities. And then he says what, what really matters is that we fill the, what love requires. And this brings me to the truth number five, and I'll land it here. Submit to the process of the heavenly gardener. You know, the heavenly gardener wants to guide the vine. See, what I do with my vine on the trellis is I'll find where a vine is kind of going wild and I'll loop it back into one of the holes so it can kind of keep growing and climbing up the trellis and bearing fruit. And the, all the blank spots on the trellis will be filled with vines that are bearing fruit. Well, he does that with us in our lives. He does that in the church. He does it with leaders. He begins to guide our lives and go, no, no, don't go that way. <laughs> Come over here. Come in this way. Oh, okay. All right. Now he's going to submit to the process of the divine gardener. God is trying to smush you maybe in this place or twist you over that way and get you going in a direction maybe you wouldn't have gone unless he had guided you there. And that's why it's so important that you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that you pray in the Spirit, that you read the Word, that you worship, that you're in, you're in church on a regular basis, that you're submitting to leadership, you're doing the things that God has called you to do and submitting to the process of the husbandman or of the heavenly gardener to the heavenly Father. Here's what he says in a very practical terms here in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. For the commandments, 
say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent for you, for you know how late it is. The time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The days of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Boy, that's a call to not only receive Christ, but to walk in his footsteps. To not only love the Heavenly Father, but for us as dads to imitate the Heavenly Father. To say, you know what? I want to be like him. I want to do it the way he does it. I want to say it the way he would say it. I want to be a good reflection of who God is. When people look at me, that they would see, wow, he forgave. Wow, he was generous. Wow, he was gracious. Wow, he was kind. And that's how we see God. And that's how we want others to see Jesus in us. Well, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus yet. Maybe you've yet to make that decision to open your heart and to let Christ in and to be the Lord of your life. It's a simple prayer that you pray to let him in, to be adopted into God's family, to make God your heavenly father. It's as simple as just saying yes to him and his perfect gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. If you want to do that right now, would you pray it out loud with me right where you are? If you're in the room there at the church or if you're online, just stop what you're doing. If you're taking a walk or whatever, just create a holy space here for a moment and just talk to the Lord. Just close your eyes. Pray this prayer out loud where you are. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. And if you want to take a moment and just tell them, tell the Lord what those are, you can do that. Now say this, thank you, God, for dying for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead according to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Adopt me into your family. God, I want you as my Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for this message today. There'll be a few announcements here at the end, but now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Father's Day, dads. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hanson. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. 
I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.